This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. I don't know about you, but the only snowy owl that I've seen is Hedwig from Harry Potter. But this time of year, it's sometimes possible to see one of the majestic birds right here in the Chicago area, in the wild. Their unpredictable migration cycle, known as an eruption, pushes the birds south from the Arctic tundra through Canada, and if we're lucky, into northern Illinois. To learn more about snowy owls and their so-called eruptions, we sat down with two bird-watching experts. Edward Warden is president of the Chicago Ornithological Society, and Stephanie Bilkey is senior manager in conservation science at Audubon Great Lakes. I started off by asking Stephanie what it's like to catch a rare glimpse of these majestic creatures in the wild. Depends on where you are, but in our area, definitely it's an uncommon sighting. But um, depending on the year, we can get um, pretty big influxes of snowy owls moving through the Great Lakes region in, in Chicago but I, whenever I've seen a snowy owl, I'm just absolutely captivated. They're especially stunning birds, you know, all white plumage, not something you see a lot in um, birds of prey, but um, they, they're they just always fun to watch. And they're daytime hunters, so um, you don't have to go out at night to find one. Yeah, so I hear. Edward, last year there weren't many sightings of the owls in the U.S., but there was a sighting in Milwaukee last month. I was reading about this in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. What are the chances that you would say of of us seeing a snowy owl this season? And why does it change year to year? Yeah, so it seems like this year is going to be a tougher year. We have actually had a few sightings in Chicago this year, so it's not a complete... uh, you know, strikeout this year. Um, one showed up uh, on the lakefront earlier um, in the f- late fall, around November, and then there was actually another one recently spotted on the South Lakefront um, earlier this month as well. But wow. uh, it seems like, again, we're trending towards a pretty sparse year for these birds in our area overall. Uh, you know, these, these cycles that they go through, these eruption cycles that you mentioned at the start, mm-hmm. um, are very erratic. And they are cycles, for sure. We go through these big years and small years and kind of everything in between. Um, but it's very hard to pin down and predict when those are going to happen. And oftentimes, we don't know which one of those kinds of years is going to be until basically we get there and we start uh, observing and seeing where the owls are going. Mm-hmm. Where are they moving? Are they showing up? Yeah, speaking of seeing, let's give everyone a a visual here, right? The eyes of a snowy owl, they're bright yellow, they're very piercing. But for those who haven't seen one or can't get to Google right now, can you describe what a snowy owl looks like, Stephanie? Sure, yeah, they're uh, a pretty large owl, um, about the size of a great horned owl, if you're familiar with that. 
Um, the male and females are, uh, there, there is some sexual dimorphism, meaning they, they look different from each other. So the, the adult males are completely white, um, and they don't have, um, any ear tufts like the great horned owl. So they've got a rounded head, mm-hmm. pretty chunky build. And, uh, you know, that, that's needed for when you're surviving in the, the great northern tundra. For sure. Um, the females and the younger birds tend to have more black spotting on them. Um, so that you have this uh, streaky, uh, pattern. Yeah. I'm looking at some images now. So the ones with the spots, Edward, uh, those are females. Yeah, in general, that's certainly the rule. It gets a little trickier when you have young birds because when they're very young and they're in the first year, both male and females have spots. But on the whole, if you're able to look at, say, the two and kind of get an estimate, yeah. females will tend to be more spotty than males. Do you remember the first time you saw a snowy owl in Chicago, Edward? What was it like? <laughs> first time, oh, geez. It was several years ago, but I do actually remember that. I was... um. I was, it was at Montrose Beach, actually. Mm-hmm. There was an, it was actually an eruption year, so there was a whole bunch around, and the whole birding community was a buzz. There was just a lot to be seen, and I figured, all right, if this is the year when I'm going to go see one, see my first one, uh, this is it. So I went out of my way, got, got up nice and early. At the time, I lived um, down in Hyde Park, so I hopped on one of the earliest buses possible up the lakefront. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went to Montrose, and... Went out to the beach and boom, there it was. It was one of the easiest, uh, you know, challenges for me to try to track down as far as, you know, rare birds to find. It was just sitting on the beach. It was waiting right for you. To a fence line. Exactly. The sun was <laughs> coming up, so it was kind of a nice, you know, color palette going on. It really was just one of those things where, you know, you don't, even even knowing what you're looking for, you don't really expect it. And then when it finally becomes apparent, oh, my God, that's what that is. And it's sitting right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a massive adrenaline and serotonin boost for sure. <laughs> oh, it sounds like it for sure. And and Stephanie, I, I want to make sure we all understand here, right? Yes, birds migrate, but Arctic creatures like the snowy owl, I mean, they're well suited for these cool temperatures, right? So I'm curious, why do they fly to the south? What reason do they have? Yeah, so we there's several theories that it um, is related to food availability. Um, I it's still you know being investigated, and they're they're difficult birds to to study, being um, you know so far north mm-hmm. and difficult areas to get to for sure. But um, uh, they rely on lemming populations to feed their young, and those uh, go through boom and bust cycles, so that can potentially um, relate to, you know, when there's an increase in population may also be related to the the lemming population. Mm -hmm. And there's thoughts that um, actually when they have a really good year that um, they produce more young and then um, those young are looking, young birds are looking for a place to to hunt, but then might get pushed out by the adult birds that have territories locked down. And then um, we tend to see a lot of young birds migrating into the southern areas, whereas um, some of the adult birds with established territories will stay north. I see. And snowy owls, they're used to the vast open landscape of the Arctic tundra. So where is, is the best place to see one in the Chicago area, Stephanie? So uh, you're you're going to look for an area that is similar to the tundra. So you want an open area. 
um, and uh, not a lot of trees. Uh, the the lakefront is tends to be where they show up in the Chicago area, and they'll sit out on the on the ice on the lakefront and um, hunt uh, waterfowl, ducks, and geese. Um, you can also find them in agricultural areas that look a little bit like the tundra to the snowy owl, um, lo- you know, expansive flat land um, that, you know, they'd be hunting rodents. I see. And Edward, you talked earlier about the, you know, the mystery of these snowy owl eruptions, and I think you called it erratic. Uh, it, so this isn't a climate change thing at all. It's just an unpredictable phenomenon. Yeah, that gets into tricky territory. Eruptions as a migration process, and there are actually several other bird species that also have eruption cycles. So snowy owls are not the only ones, um, have been happening for time immemorial, right? They are tied to larger natural cycles and processes. So one of the big ones is the lemmings that Stephanie mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly things like weather patterns, lemming populations, uh, other factors come into play and all kind of work in concert to create these years, these boom bust years, these eruption years. Um, that said, we, we, there is some early evidence to suggest that climate change overall is impacting these cycles. What that will mean and look like going into future years, it's kind of anybody's guess at this point. Um, but it's, it's, it's unlikely that climate change will not be playing a factor at all in how eruptions take place in the years ahead. Mm-hmm. I want us to listen now to some of the noises that a snowy owl can make. Now, in this next clip, you're going to hear Elsa. That's a snowy owl that was made famous by a TikToker who's a raptor handler. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about these owl calls, Stephanie? Yeah, well, that sounds like a call that you're very unlikely to hear. I'm sure the handlers um, would have much more experience hearing those calls because they get close up and, you know, the owls associate them with food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've never heard a snowy owl vocalize, and I think it's pretty unlikely to hear one, especially during the wintering time period, mm-hmm. unless it's, you know, coming face to face with another predator and uh telling them to back off so it's uh it's yeah it's it's not likely that you you hear these birds vocalize i see edward any experience hearing these particular owl calls uh locally you're not really going to be encountering these birds making calls here in our area while they're just finding places to you know overwinter rest and food mm-hmm. most of their vocalizations as we understand them are meant for communicating with other snowy owls. And so sounds like you heard there are primarily going to be, uh, like Stephanie said, f- probably associated with food. Mm-hmm. Or if you have um, on a nesting territory, the mates will work together to bring food while one sits on the nest, and they'll communicate that way. Yeah, and I usually think of owls as nighttime birds, Stephanie, but I, I do think it's pretty cool that the, the snowy owls, they're out during the day. Um, what they're used to in the tundra during the summer, that's almost 24 hours of daylight during some periods. So they have to be able to be actively hunting during um, during the day. Um, but they, they can hunt at night as well. Yeah. Edward, you teach classes about how to spot signs of the Arctic birds and how to view them ethically and responsibly. Why do you teach those classes? 
Well, I think the biggest reason is just people have questions. Uh, we are lucky enough to be one of the places that, you know, while we do have eruption years and non-eruption years, overall we're pretty lucky in terms of places in the U.S. that do relatively regularly get to experience snowy owls. And so there's always questions that come up, uh, you know, how do I find them? Where do we find them? What am I looking for? Why is it that this year is a good year versus a bad year? Um, and then certainly how can we go seek them and enjoy their presence responsibly? Because unfortunately, um, you know, it is possible through our interactions with them and while they're here to uh, over harass them, cause them discomfort and potentially harm their ability to survive through our presence. Yeah. So we do these classes every year uh, during the winter, regardless of whether or not it's a big year or not for, the, for these birds, because there's always that chance. There's always that opportunity, and we want to make sure that if you're going to be going out looking, you know, doing your part to try to see these birds, that you're able to do so with all the, uh, you know, all the knowledge uh, available and in your back pocket. Yeah. Well, to that end, before I let you both go, give us, you know, best practices when viewing snowy owls. I mean, is it the same as, as normal bird watching, or are there specific considerations? You can go first, Edward. Yeah, I think... You know, when dealing with birds, owls, wildlife of any kind, it's always good to think about basically how would you treat your fellow human? Um, would you like it if somebody got up in your face in your business uninvited? Probably not. Um, we all have a sort of space, a bubble around us that we like to maintain, and birds are the exact same way. The benefit, too, of owls is that they are very expressive. You mentioned those big, bright eyes on a snowy owl. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they communicate their comfort or displeasure with you through things like their eyes. If they're constantly staring at you or their eyes are big and wide, that indicates that their focus is not on things it should be. For example, resting or looking for food. Their focus is on you. And so that's a good indication that maybe it's time for you to back it up. Give them a little uh, space. Good, good tip. Anything to add, Stephanie? Yeah, definitely just emphasizing that these owls, they're not used to people um, where they've come from, especially the young ones, um, may have never come across people before. So they they might act as though, you know, uh, or you might think that you're not bothering them because they just have not encountered people before. But it's really important to just give these birds space and, um, you know, get a good look, but you can use binoculars or a spotting scope from, from a safe distance without bothering them. We'll leave it there. Stephanie Bilkey is Senior Manager in Conservation Science at Audubon Great Lakes, and Edward Warden is President of the Chicago Ornithological Society. Thank you both. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Landon Jones. It was edited by Dan Tucker and Meha Ahmed. We bring you the latest news happening around the city to keep you in the loop every day. Now, if you enjoy our conversations, consider giving us a like and subscribe to the pod. That's it for the Reset Pod for now. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a wonderful holiday weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.